This is Black Lines and Billables, a podcast about legal technology and innovation and law firm associate success and development. I'm Christian Lang, editor of the Black Lines and Billables blog. And on today's podcast, we're going to try something a little bit different. I was recently at ALM's Legal Week here in New York, formerly known as Legal Tech, which is one of the largest legal tech-related conferences in the world. So if you haven't been to one of these big conferences... They're an absolute blast if you're a legal tech nerd. Basically, you get a huge number of the brightest minds and the biggest innovators in the industry all crammed into one place. Uh, Not only is there a million panels and lots of interesting companies in the expo, but there are a million meetings taking place and dinners and happy hours. And you're basically getting bombarded with information about what's going on in the industry, what's happened over the last year, what to expect in the future, what everyone is thinking about, talking about, etc. All fueled by way too many cups of coffee and probably a few too many drinks. It was only my second legal week. In fact, we launched our legal tech and innovation coverage on the blog in connection with the event last year. But I've already fallen in love with how inspired I get by seeing all the incredible work being done and companies being built to help the legal industry innovate. And I find it incredibly thought-provoking and also clarifying for my own thinking to engage with so many leaders in the field over such a short period of time. And that got me thinking. I wanted to find a way to help share that experience and that feeling with members of the Black Lines and Billables community who weren't able to attend the event themselves, hence this podcast. Before Legal Week 18, I went out and got an external mic from my iPhone, and I printed out a list of eight questions about the past, present, and future of the legal tech industry. I stuck those questions in my pocket, and as I walked around Legal Week 18, interacting with all those incredible thinkers and amazing innovators, I asked some of them to weigh in. I handed the list of questions to each person, let them decide which one or two or three of the questions they wanted to answer, pulled out the mic, and recorded their thoughts right there on the spot. It's unfiltered, with the exception of two or three tweaks, unedited. It's got the conference hustle and bustle in the background, which I hope, instead of being annoying, actually helps transport you there and gives you a little taste of what the Legal Week experience is like. If you enjoy this experiment and find it valuable, let us know. We'll make it happen again at future conferences. So let's get to it. Like I said, we gave our guests the option of answering eight different questions. Question one, looking back, what was the most important legal tech trend or development of 2017? Question two, looking forward, what will be the most important legal tech trend or development of 2018? Question three, what's something that's overhyped on today's legal tech landscape? Question four, what's something that's underhyped on today's legal tech landscape? Question five, who is your favorite legal tech Twitter or other social media follow? Question six, what's the most significant current obstacle to the wider adoption of legal technology? Question seven, name an institution on the legal tech landscape, be it a firm, a school, a corporation, etc., doing something particularly innovative. And question eight, what has been or what do you expect to be your favorite part of Legal Week 18? One of my favorite parts of this whole exercise was seeing what questions people chose to answer. By volume, I think the runaway favorite was the question on obstacles to legal tech adoption. But we got a bunch of great answers to different questions, including many interesting predictions for the coming year with question two, for example. And there was some interesting resonance between different people's answers to the same questions and themes that emerged. But at the same time, there were also some very different takes on similar developments. So I look forward to hearing what you think. In total, we included 18 different voices on this podcast, and you'll hear everyone introduce themselves just before the beginning of each short answer. 
Without further ado, here are the voices of Legal Week 18, beginning with question one, looking back, what was the most important legal tech trend or development of 2017? Dan Jansen, uh, CEO of Nextlaw Ventures. I, I, I think in a way it wasn't very tech-driven, but it was the emergence and growth of the legal ops groups inside these corporate legal departments because they're the ones who are pushing for faster, better, cheaper solutions, and therefore that's going to be a lot about tools and a lot about technology. So the emergence of those started on the West Coast. It's growing globally now. They're going to put a lot of pressure to bring more compelling tools into the practice of uh, law inside corporate legal departments. So I'm Catherine Crow, the CEO of Digitory Legal. We do cost management and budgeting for law firms and legal departments. And I think in 2017, you saw the rise of AI, um, breakthroughs in machine learning, uh, and how it's being applied not just to the practice of law, but to the business of law. And you can see that in the 200 people that attended the AI workshops this year. Casey Flaherty, ProCertis. And uh, the same trend it's been for years, which is the insourcing of legal talent. Uh, in-house counsel uh, n- now accounts for more lawyers than the domestic offices of the AMLA 200. Uh, and they also purchase 55% of all legal services in the United States. The tech they want is the tech we need to build. Uh, and that trend has been going on for years. And really nothing is more important on the legal landscape, uh, at, at least on, at the corporate level. Daryl Shatterly, Director of Oric Analytics at Oric Harrington Sutcliffe. So there are several tools that have helped to streamline the due diligence process, but in 2017, those tools matured and are well on their way to moving the needle on the time required to complete due diligence projects. The split focus between structural changes like the development of the legal ops departments and related insourcing of legal talent with the development of product and the maturation of technologies is actually a really accurate reflection of a lot of the dialogues that were occurring at Legal Week 18. And some of the very same themes came up in our future predictions with question two, one of our most popular, looking forward, what will be the most important legal tech trend or development of 2018? Hi, I'm Andrew Ruda. I'm the co-founder and CEO over at Ross Intelligence, and we're building AI software that allows lawyers to do more than ever before possible. Looking forward, I think uh, the biggest uh, development is going to be the maturation of a lot of the companies that you saw enter the space in the last few years in the legal tech space. Um, I think, obviously, I, wouldn't, uh, I, I would be crazy not to mention uh, artificial intelligence being the, the largest trend, uh, but I think that that's true to say about every industry, law, finance, health, etc. AI is entering and really transforming things, and we're happy to be uh, doing that within the legal industry. And that definitely seemed to be a popular view. I'm Oliver Goodenough. I'm a professor at Vermont Law School and also a a vice president and director at Scopus Labs. And the most important trend, I think, is going to be the applications of artificial intelligence. Uh, What we're seeing here at the Legal Tech Show is the beginnings of that. uh, But as the uh, applications of AI uh, really begin to mature in the next year, uh, you're going to see more and more application of it to real legal problems uh, and beginning to provide some uh, very interesting solutions outside of the traditional areas of uh, e-discovery and things like that. Others picked up on the same point in a slightly different way. Hi, I'm Neil Almadani. I'm CEO and founder of Alt Legal. We make IP docketing software. And I think this year we're going to start seeing more and more companies entering niche spaces in the legal industry. There's a lot of attorneys that are building out their own solutions to their own problems. And just the sales cycle associated with legal, 
I think companies are going to start finding more and more focus to solve specific problems in individual practice areas or the like. We also had some great answers go in a very different direction. Hi, I'm Haley Altman. With I'm the founder and CEO of Doxly, and I think one of the most important trends in 2018 is a real focus on collaboration. How do attorneys and clients work better together? How do they um, integrate more so that there's that transparency, that there's this understanding? I think that helps with the fee pressures that you're seeing, the speed that people want. It's that idea that you can collaborate and work together with your clients. So what are those workflow and efficiency tools that enable people to work together better? I'm Dan Linna. I'm a law professor at Michigan State University College of Law, where I'm also the director of Legal R&D, the Center for Legal Service Innovation. I also teach legal tech and innovation classes at the University of Michigan, and I'm affiliated faculty at Codex. Well, I hope the most important development is that we, we focus on problems and start really engaging with the people who are closest to the problems or are really doing the work. That means engaging with the customers who receive the value. And then the people on the front lines, whether they're junior associates, paralegals, technologists, really getting all the right people around the table to help us provide greater value, provide greater quality, get better results for our clients. Alma Say, Chief Innovation Officer at Integrion. I think the most important trend will be the awakening of law firms um, and their openness to new technology, whatever that is. So it's easy to point to a particular technology and say that that's going to be the trend next year. But I think the really monumental change is the fact that law firms are finally open to technology, whatever that is, and willing to engage in change management to make these technologies successful. Catherine Crow, I'm the CEO of Digitory Legal. We do uh, cost management uh, and budgeting for law firms and legal departments. Uh, and I think the answer to that is blockchain. Uh, you can't turn around without hearing blockchain and uh, how it is going to solve some of these cybersecurity problems that are top of mind. And that last answer turned out to be the perfect segue to question three, what's something that's overhyped on the legal tech landscape? This is Oliver Goodenough. I'm a professor of law at Vermont Law School and also a, a director at Scopus Labs. And overhyped to me is blockchain. I love blockchain. Blockchain does really cool, wonderful things in certain domains. And that's what it does. And uh, the number of times I hear people say, and then we'll put it on the blockchain where there is no purpose in that in the least just makes me crazy because uh, it's a really good technology. It shouldn't be damaged by overhype. It's getting overhyped all the time. Hi there, I'm Andrew Ruda. I'm the CEO and co-founder over at Ross Intelligence, and we build AI tools that enhance lawyers and law students and allow them to do more than humanly possible. I think talking about uh, any trend, there's going to be hype cycles and then it falls out. I think uh, right now what we're hearing a lot about is the blockchain. I feel like talk conversations about blockchain are where conversations were about artificial intelligence about two years ago within the legal space. I don't think it's overhyped. I think calling anything overhyped is a dangerous game because any mature software or breakthrough starts off as in a hype cycle and then evens out into actually usable. Uh, so what I would say is I certainly have seen a new trend emerge in folks talking about blockchain. Blockchain, I think it needs a, a little while to mature, uh, but that's what I would say is the, the big one that is entering now into a lot of folks' conversations. I'm Bob Craig. I'm the CIO with Baker Hostetler, and I think the uh, area that's most overhyped is blockchain, but at the same time, it's the area that has the most transformative potential. But it wasn't all about blockchain. Stephen Allen from Hogan Lovells. Uh, absolutely, he has got to be uh, AI-assisted document review. Um, it's good, but it can't do what most of the uh, most of the vendors are claiming it can do. 
And Stephen provided my favorite segue of the day by giving exactly the same answer to question four. What's something that's underhyped on today's legal tech landscape? So Stephen Allen from Hogan Lovells. I think automated document review is, is underhyped because when you go away from the BS and the disappointment, actually being able to map, uh, map and tag thousands of documents is incredibly useful. If only people got the chance to see that's what it was. <laughs> And sticking with the theme of less flashy applications of artificial intelligence. Hi, it's Ryan Alshak, CEO of Ping. I think underhyped are really applications of machine learning that aren't sexy, but have real value. So something that we've done at Ping is actually build a machine learning model that automates task and phase codes. And while that has never gotten me a date, what it has done is created real meaningful insight for firms to be able to do analytics on their time data and do it correctly. And so while artificial intelligence and what that word means may be overhyped, I think non-sexy applications of machine learning are actually very underhyped. Others had some fantastic takes on what's truly underhyped on the legal tech landscape. Well, this is Bob Ambrogi, and I write a blog called Law Sites, lawsitesblog.com. Uh, I write for Above the Law. I also am the newly minted editor and publisher of Lex Blog. Uh, I think something that's really underhyped on the legal tech landscape is the uh, evolving duty of technology competence for lawyers. There's been an ethical, uh, uh, a couple of ethical opinions talking about the, the duty of lawyers to be competent in technology. And I think a lot of lawyers don't really understand the ramifications of those opinions and, and of changes in the model rules that govern this. Uh, I think these, the, the ethics rules are evolving in a way that require lawyers to have uh, a higher degree of competence in simple things like data security, email security, uh, any kind of technology they're using, any kind of technology that may impact their clients than, than a lot of lawyers have. Uh, and even some lawyers who are, you know, they're not afraid of technology, they're, they use technology, uh, but I think these ethics opinions are requiring uh, a level of sophistication and understanding that uh, a lot of lawyers don't have. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, as more opinions come down, how this plays out and how it motivates lawyers to become uh, 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 more educated about technology uh, and uh, more informed about technology. So that's my underhype. I, I think that that's just not played out uh, in a big way right now. Daryl Shetterly, Director of Oric Analytics at Oric Harrington Sutcliffe. So process is underrated. There's a lot of talk about technology, and rightfully so. Legal tech is full of technology providers, and many of them are great. But without process, those technology tools are not going to change the future. We need process-driven strategies that incorporate those technologies and build discipline around the way they are deployed. Much to my chagrin, because I'm always on the lookout for new good accounts to follow, we only had one taker for question five. Who is your favorite legal tech Twitter or other social media follow? I'm Neil Madani. I'm CEO and founder of Alt Legal. We make automated IP docketing software. I guess my favorite Twitter handle is probably the Florida Straight Bar. They have the best use of GIFs. They have the best tweets that are actually hysterical in the legal space. They share relevant news, and I think they just set the right tone. But the one answer was a great one. The Florida State Bar account is definitely worth a follow. As we mentioned at the top of the show, question six, what's the most significant current obstacle to the wider adoption of legal technology, generated the most answers from our guests. Many of them focused on attributes of the traditional law firm or even of lawyers themselves. 
This is Emily Foges, CEO of Luminance. The biggest obstacle to the adoption of legal technology, I think, is the structure of the law firm. You've still got that partnership model where everyone has their own P&L. The idea of driving consistency of standards across the firm, driving collaboration, making better use of knowledge across the firm is very difficult in that kind of organization. So I'm Catherine Crow, the CEO of Digitory Legal. We do cost and management and budgeting for law firms and legal departments. Um, I think the most significant obstacle is lawyers are so focused um, as an industry on what could go wrong, on all of the negatives, that it's hard to get past that and convince them that there are more positives uh, and there are ways around the risks and there are huge rewards. Casey Flaherty, ProCertis. And the most significant obstacle to tech adoption is lawyers. Um, and, it's, and it's not lawyers being tech-averse. Tech it's lawyers being extremely busy. Uh, it's lawyers uh, being path-dependent. It's, it's lawyers thinking that they're in a delico- delicate equilibrium um, that can't stand any kind of shock or any kind of implementation dip. I'm Bob Craig. I'm the CIO with Baker & Hostetler. And I would say it's, uh, it's the same barrier that's been for decades, which is the human factor. This is Patrick Fuller, Vice President of, uh, of Legal Intelligence at ALM Intelligence. Uh, I think it's comp structure. Uh, I think the, the number one challenge that law firms have is uh, a comp structure that rewards inefficiency in most cases because it's built on the billable hour. Uh, and the challenge with that is most of the technology that's coming out now is dramatically improving efficiency and effectiveness. And so uh, you have two divergent um, uh, challenges there. You have a comp structure that, for the most part, has rewards when you take the simple and make it complex, and then you have technology that um, is all about making the complex more simple. And those two things uh, cannot work in concert with each other, given the current comp structure that we have. And the answers about law firm structure also included some pretty nuanced takes about the interaction of that structure and certain aspects of legal technology specifically. Alma Say, Chief Innovation Officer at Integrion. The biggest obstacle is marrying the decision maker with the pain point. So too often when you're going into a corporation or a law firm, the people on the ground, the people who understand the pain that you're trying to solve are not the actual decision makers who can either bring in the technology in the first place or ensure its effective adoption within the organization. So getting those same people in the room, understanding each other's point of view, and making sure everyone is on the same page, from my point of view, is the biggest obstacle. But not everyone was focused on attributes of the law firm or lawyers themselves as the biggest obstacle. I'm Nicholas Brew from ALM Intelligence. I think the biggest obstacle right now is honestly just scale. Um, A lot of the providers are, are too small. Um, I think as they get bigger, um, law departments and law firms will feel like they're in a safe pair of hands. Um, and I think that is, that is an obstacle right now. A lot, of, a lot of law firms and law departments look at some of these um, technologies and they say this is interesting, but when they're a little concerned about taking it up to their board or up to their you know, senior partners and saying, look, there's this, this new technology, not a lot of people have used it, I want to give it a shot, that worries them. 
Hi, Haley Altman, CEO and founder of Doxly. I think one of the biggest obstacles is just that understanding of um, from the legal tech vendors themselves of what does it mean to bring that change management. When you bring this technology in, you're asking them to change something they do. And that's hard, no matter how exciting or um, innovative that technology is. So partnering with the law firms to really come up with a plan for them to adopt and bring it into their workflow. So it's that partnership between the technology companies and the law firms to give them a pathway to adopt it that they can understand and that they can support. So Dan Lena, I'm a law professor at Michigan State where I'm the director of legal R&D, the Center for Legal Services Innovation, also teaching legal technology and innovation classes at the University of Michigan Law School and I'm affiliated faculty at Codex. I think it is that we're too frequently starting with solutions, not with the problems. And we, we shouldn't be running around taking technology and thinking about, well, what, what, you know, I got this shiny AI tool, how can I apply it in different places and maybe ring out just a little bit of efficiency. And we, these shouldn't be technology projects, they're, they're business projects. Find a business problem, solve a business problem. Question seven was about institutions in the legal landscape doing things particularly innovatively. Not a huge number of people took the bait on this question, but there were a few interesting answers. So this is Emily Foges, who's CEO of Luminance. I think White and Case have a really interesting approach to driving consistent standards across the firm, looking at a real, true global law firm, making best use of different resources in different jurisdictions, and joining everything up so that the firm benefits from all of those resources. Haven't seen that happen particularly well in many firms. The big firms particularly, I think, can struggle with that. White and Case seem to have got it nailed. I'm Bill O'Boyle with North State Consulting. Uh, Evolve Law, which is doing a really good job of blend, getting attorneys together with uh, technology companies, and also Duke Law Center is doing a really good job of bringing the technology in much sooner, all the way back to in the classroom. And so they're even bringing vendors and people within the community to speak to uh, current law students. Finally, with question eight, we asked people to tell us about their favorite part of Legal Week 18. This is Ryan Alshak, CEO of Ping. Selfishly, my favorite part of Legal Week is realizing how far we've come along in a year. Uh, Legal Week 2017 was the first conference that we ever attended. And we were two guys with the $15 pass just walking around not knowing a soul. Uh, and this year we had a booth and we had people coming up to us saying that they had read about us and wanted to meet us and we realized that we had created a brand in a year and uh, very selfishly that was a incredibly gratifying realization. And from those who had attended a bunch of conferences over the years, we heard a consistent theme, one that was echoed throughout Legal Week 18. Alma say Chief Innovation Officer at Integrion. My favorite part of Legal Week has been seeing everyone, uh, getting to spend time with clients, prospective clients, uh, startup founders, uh, people doing other cool things and innovation in the legal community. It's just great when everybody gets in one place and is focused and jazzed up to see one another and talk about all the cool things going on. First of all, my name is Patrick Fuller, the Vice President of uh, Legal Intelligence at ALM Intelligence. Uh, legal is a lot different. Uh, this is very much, as we refer to it, the Hotel California of, of careers, because once you are in legal, you very rarely ever check out and leave. And so for a lot of people, uh, th this community is a second family to them. And so when you get together at conferences, whether it's Legal Week or whether it's 
Super Conference or any of the other conferences that we, we go to on a regular basis, you're seeing people that you have been in a business with, uh, you've changed companies, you've worked with them on and off for 20, 25 years. They are uh, as much a part of the fabric of who you are and your circle of friends as, as any of your neighbors are. Uh, or lifelong friends from college or high school. And that, to me, is one of the great parts, is you have really, really smart, passionate, committed people that have been in this industry uh, that continue to come to these conferences year in and year out. And the conversations and the inspiration from this this week is always um, just phenomenal. Well said, Patrick. I couldn't agree more. Well, those were our voices of Legal Week 18. Particularly for those of you who weren't able to make the event this year, I hope this pod has given you a glimpse into the conference and the types of conversations that were happening in the hallways, bars, and in the expo. Again, if you enjoyed this little experiment, please let us know, and we'll do it again at future conferences down the road. You can find us on Twitter at BNB Legal, that's at BNB Legal, on LinkedIn or Facebook, or at blacklinesandbillables.com. And if you're enjoying the Black Lines and Billables podcast, leave us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, which helps others find our show. We'll be back again soon with our next episode. Thanks for listening.